1: I jump out of bed because I love my life. Living on my terms, I know that I will thrive. Being myself, clarity will love thrive. So I'll stand down and be J-U-I-C-Y. Stand out and be J-U-I-C-Y.
0: Hello, hello. Welcome to the GFR show. It is Lisa Cherney. I am your host, and I am excited to be talking about unhappy millionaires today. And our guest, Denise Gosnell, she owns three companies and she works three days a week, one day in each company. I mean, if that not doesn't just like have your jaw drop, I don't know what will. And here's the question that I wanna kick us off with. Would you ever consider running an experiment where for 30 days you only worked three days a week? This is the challenge that she gives her clients regularly. This is the challenge she gave our audience. And she shares the tumultuous journey that she had, surprise, surprise, this is a GFR show, this is what we talk about here, to her getting to the place where she launched her company called The Vacation Effect. She's a serial entrepreneur, business strategist, productivity hacker, attorney, author, and real estate investor. Like I said, she owns three companies, works three days a week. And one of those companies, she helps busy entrepreneurs learn how to use unconventional scheduling and growth strategies to grow their business even faster by working up to 40% less. So three days a week for a month is 40% less. And she ha- she's actually an eight-time author. She's been featured in dozens of media outlets over the years. And she stumbled really on to the secret that she now teaches called growth by subtraction. Which I so resonate with, and I'm discovering as I flush out this body of work called Unmentoring, that working with entrepreneurs in a particular phase of their business life, it really is about saying no. It is like I love her, you know, growing by subtraction. It is about saying no, um, what to stop doing, you know, that whole that whole idea of not pushing and striving, but really getting smarter and more efficient and more effective and challenging ourselves to make the tough decisions or have the tough conversations that really get us to working in a way that works for us. So she has an amazing story about a significant wake-up call that she had that had her reevaluate everything. And she shares with us some of the mini wake-up calls along the way, which are equally as fascinating, including something that when she was working for a law firm, the- you know, lead partner in the attorney said something to her husband that she was just so shocked that he said that really woke her up. And uh, so, just really juicy stuff in this sh- in this episode. Denise is a delight, and I'm looking forward to you meeting her. Without further ado, Denise Gosnell. Welcome to the GFR Show, Denise Gosnell. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. I am so excited to have you here. Y'all, three businesses, three days a week. Like, do I even need to say any more than that? Um, And of course, that's the after. So this show is really about the journey that took you there and to the place where you're now teaching, what you mastered to create that life for yourself, and- you know, as they say, it wasn't always that way, so um no, so I'm um, looking really looking forward to sharing your story with with our listeners and um just a chit chat beforehand, we discovered we both have fourteen year old daughters that love to point out our flaws. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, if you see me flip
1: my hair dramatically or something like that, you'll know why. <laughs>
0: Yeah. So it's so funny. You, yeah. you, you flipped your hair and then you're like, yeah, my daughter. And I'm like, yeah, my daughter tells me like my eyeshadows too heavy. And
1: yeah. <laughs> like- I'm wearing the wrong colors all the time. She's a makeup yes. expert now. <laughs> yes.
0: That so was <is> mine. Oh <laughs> my God. Yes. That's so funny. Yeah. Yes. Yes. She And she loves It's like, she's an artist. And so I could see that it, it's just a, new way, a different way for her to express. And she wants to do her makeup multiple times a day just to try things out. And isn't it fun to hold space for a young lady to just like be themselves. So I, could, exactly. I, I get you're a parent like me. Yeah. She's an awesome
1: young lady. I'm so proud of her. But it is, it is like a mirror reflecting back when you have your children telling you all your flaws. It's like, oh, wow. I didn't realize I had so many.
0: (laughs) Well, we were talking about how we're both straight talkers. So of course they're going to straight talk right back, not in a sassy, you know, a sass way, but just like, you know, they're not going to mince words because we don't with them, you
1: know? That's so true. My husband said, if you ever want to know what you sound like, listen to our daughter. Like, oh, wow.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. That's awesome. I love that. And I like your husband down too. Okay. (laughs) All right. So let's talk about what your life looked like and success looked like before the GFRness entered into your awareness. Yeah. Um,
1: so when I, I left, I used to work for a large law firm when I first became a lawyer. Um, and now I have three different companies and one of them's a law firm and two of them are not. But so back when I was a lawyer, I went into patent law, Lisa, because Uh, Ever since I was a kid and I was teased for being poor, all I ever wanted was to be rich. Like ever since I was like 10 years old, I'm like, you know, you'd ask me what I want to be and I'd say a teacher and then I didn't go into education because I found out that teachers were not rewarded like lawyers were. (laughs) So I chose my career path first in computer science, but once I made six figures in computer science, I'm like, but that's not a millionaire. I need to be rich. You know, nobody will ever tease me again if I'm rich. So Uh, so the motivation
0: for... Being rich was that you felt like because I wasn't, that's why I was teased or- or, Yeah,
1: yeah. I was teased for having, you know, shoes from Goodwill and clothes from Goodwill and not having a very nice house. I was embarrassed to bring friends over. And so like that motivated me. I thought that being rich would somehow make, you know, make all those issues go away.
0: Yes, it makes sense to a child for sure. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay, so you went into patent law because teaching didn't do it and neither did tech.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's like, so I, I was a, t- t- a software developer for 10 years. But once I was making like $140,000, i am like, it's still not rich enough. I'm, I still don't have enough money. So I became obsessed with, I, at that point, you would asked, you know, what does success mean to me? At that point, success meant how much money I made in my annual salary. And, um, you know, that's, that's where I was at. Like, that's what I'd be, I be, had become a habit since I was 10 years old. There I was in my early 30s. And like, that's what had been, that's all I had, I could think about. And, you know, looking back on it, I see how silly that is, but it took a, you know, a wake up call from a couple of different incidents for me to realize that that was crazy to feel that way.
0: And did people around you also, did you find that you surrounded yourself with people that also, they thought that?
1: Um, you know, that's interesting. Um, I, you know, in other lawyer circles, like, you know, uh, lawyers like being well-paid and they brag about what hourly rate they're at now. And I'm at 500 an hour, I'm at 650 an hour. And like, so that was kind of the the norm. I mean, it, only among friends would you joke about that, but it was right. like a running joke. You wouldn't just say it to a stranger, but um, it just was kind of the culture of, of w- what I had grown up with. So, but not like to friends, like I never talked about that with like local friends and stuff like that. So it was, it dep- it, it was situational. Does that make sense?
0: Yes, totally. And in your relationship, like with your husband in your marriage, like did, did was he, he on board? Was he around at that point? And was he on board with yes, yes, yes. Let's, you know, more money, more money.
1: Yeah. So we've been married for 25 years. We got married when I was in college and um, yeah, I mean, he's always been my biggest fan. He's like, I just want you to be happy, whatever that means to you. But, you know, of course he also enjoys, you know, whenever we have great years and whenever we make a lot of money, but he also, as long as, it's kind of like, as long as mom is happy, everybody's
0: happy, as long as I'm happy, he doesn't really care. (laughs) So So he bought into what you thought was going to make you happy, which was to make more money, right? Exactly. So you're going along as a patent attorney. Um, What were some of the early warning signs that perhaps this wasn't going to make you happy? Well, um,
1: one of the early signs that I remember um, that there might be a problem, even though I was in denial of it at the time, was when the senior partner pulled my husband aside at a Christmas party and said, you need to tell your wife to take more time off. Wow. Like, instead of the senior partner telling me to work more, telling my husband who wishes I work more, he pulled him aside and said, I'm concerned about Denise working too much. She's like making twice what every other associate is making and billing twice, you know, like maybe not twice, but like. We're worried from her numbers that she's never sleeping because I had like blown every associate's numbers out of the water. I was making as much money as an associate at a large law firm as the partners were making because they paid associates on a percentage of your hours partners wow. were based on their ownership in the firm, but a lot of the partners didn't like me making more money than them. <laughs> so he, uh, that senior partner, so that was my first clue when the senior partner says the exact opposite of what I expected and tells my husband, would you please have her not work as much? He goes, if you met my wife, I can't
0: make her do anything.
1: <laughs> I'm like, you tell her that.
0: Good luck with that. <laughs> and did he, did the senior partner tell you to your face?
1: Um, He just told me, you know, Denise, it's it's okay to delegate things. You shouldn't be out mowing your own lawn and it's okay to take a day off.
0: You shouldn't be out mowing your own
1: lawn. Unless that's your passion. Like you, you know, you make enough money that you can hire people to do the things that you don't love doing so that you can focus on what you love. And I'm like, I don't love what I'm doing either though. <laughs> that was another little red flag. I'm like, I'm making all this money, but I don't love what I'm doing.
0: Wow. That's right. That's ironic. Uh, Cause it w- inherently in his advice was uh, like an additional layer of, right. of inquiry for you. <laughs> exactly.
1: So yeah. So that was the, that was where the, those were some of the first clues. Of course there were many more, but God has a way of like, if you don't listen to the first 20 clues, he'll bring in something more dramatic, which is what happened to me.
0: (laughs) It's so true. So before we get up to like the really dramatic one, let's let, I want to hear like two more clues. (laughs) Yeah. So,
1: um, you know, another clue was, you know, I then left the large law firm when I went on maternity leave with my now 14 year old. So I opened my own Um, company 14 years ago. I went left on maternity leave and I had brought in all my own clients. So I, they were my clients, not the firm's clients. So I left with um, a large billion dollar software company as a client, as well as a handful of other clients. And I left on good terms with the firm. They were glad I didn't steal all their clients away. Like so many other lawyers did. I only took my own clients and they respected that. I could go back there today if I wanted to, because of the way I handle things. But so another clue though was there I am, Lisa, you can picture this because you're a mom, I'm laying on the couch, I had preeclampsia, so I was on bed rest for people who don't know what that means. And so for three weeks on maternity leave before Victoria was born, I was on bed rest and I'm working on patents from the couch. And I'm like, this is messed up. Like, Here I have three weeks that I'm preparing for my wonderful new daughter. I knew it was a girl to be born. And instead of like bonding with my daughter and singing songs to her and watching parenting videos on TV or whatever, I'm working on freaking patents to make more money. I'm like, that is messed up in hindsight. Like at the time I was just bored to tears because I was used to doing something all the time.
0: I know. Right. And I was thinking like, you know, um, it, it, hindsight for sure. You, you see like, that was crazy, but like, while you were in it, while you were on the couch working, you know, like with your big belly and all that, like, were you like, this is effed up or like, did you kind of have that, that, that bird's eye view at some point where you looked at yourself? No, it's like, I was just like, I was so miserable from not
1: being busy. Like I was so used to being busy all the time. I didn't know how to be still. So I had yeah. this table. I had, I had one of the partners bring me files every day from the firm or like once a week. So that I have stuff to work on. And I'm like, this is crazy now that I look back on it.
0: And I think but, you said something really true for so many of us at some point is that we didn't know how to be any other way. You know, I, I often like think back to multiple awarenesses around, oh, like I'm not worrying enough about this thing, so I must not care about it. You know, it was like, or that I'm not stressed so I can't possibly be so successful or, you know, cause I'm not like, you know, I'm not grasping all the time and, you know, in, in my, in this you know, t- year of 2020, I'm, I'm dropping even more into surrender and flow and like being more mindful of those thoughts and, but it's, it's quite phenomenal how habitual stress can be and, and, the, and the activities that we do to perpetuate, you know, that state. Oh, but
1: Lisa, there's no time to be stressed. Get back to work. That's what I would tell myself. There's no time to worry about that. Anytime I would have a nagging thought that took me off of the goal at hand of making more money, I'd be like, Denise, there's no time for that. Get back to work. So I didn't have time to be stressed. I didn't have time to be unhappy. I didn't have time. I, I was a happy person. Who wasn't happy inside? I was happy on the outside because I'm always, I have a happy disposition. You know, I'm in a good mood even, though, even if there's something serious going on. That's who I am. I can't turn it off. But
0: deep down, I wasn't happy. Oh, if that makes any sense. Totally. Totally. Yeah. Did you get your like work ethic or that sort of just ability to work hard and, and be in that mode from? watching your parents or was it something you adopted because you saw it was like not what you're, you know, like sometimes I feel like we either like them or we're definitely not like them.
1: Yeah, I adopted it from my parents. Um, my, my, my mom and dad were scrap dealers. My, my dad worked all the time to provide for us five children. And, um, you know, and it was, I, I learned from him so many things and work ethic was one of them, but also because I, you know, was so focused on achieving and from being teased as a kid. And I was a daughter of a junk dealer who had no money and had Goodwill shoes. And, you know, it was just horror. People were so mean to me that I just never wanted to ever be mistreated again. So I'll show them with money. Money is not how you do that now, of course. I know that. But at the time, that's all I knew. But um, that plus, you know, me just wanting to work harder to where no one could ever tease me because I'll show them. But it's funny. There was a point where once I was in my 20s, I stopped caring what other people thought. But unfortunately, at that point, it had become an addiction. So I couldn't turn it off. Oh. Like, you know, once I stopped caring what other people thought, and once I got out of college, it, it like my, my uh, addiction to wanting to succeed, the, the success trap, or the, not the success trap, the success addiction took over where it was no longer about what people thought, it was about that I needed to reach that next level that I'd become addicted to reaching.
0: Yes. Totally makes sense. I know you're about to ask me that. Yes. Totally makes sense. Yes. Addicted to success, addicted to seeking and, 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 and like searching for and working towards success. Yes. You know, and my uh, my listeners know that I got, a got to seven figures in my own seeking for success in 2014 and sort of like got to the top of the mountain and was like ah fuck this is not as great as it seems you know (laughs) wait a minute where's the roses and the (sighs) gilding wife and the you know the 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 peace and the harmony and you know it wasn't that and that was such a bummer Um, especially because I was holding space for people in the Programs that I had created for them to create a business that they love. So, you know, I I didn't I couldn't I, I could not did deni- be in denial uh, Very long that that wasn't like I couldn't be out of integrity like that. So I needed to figure mm-hmm. something out Okay, so you're moving along um, you are a, An associate that is you know, uh, the associate of associates, you know, you're winning all of the the billable hour awards So then what happens?
1: So then um, when I left on maternity leave and started my own firm, you know, I then, um, you know, let's see, that would have been 2005, so I'd worked on my own for three or four years with uh, that large billion dollar client that I was lucky enough to fa- fund my own startup. You know, it wasn't a startup, it was a well-funded startup. I, My very first year with my own firm, I made like three or $400,000 wow. because 90% of that revenue came from that billion dollar client that I was writing patents for. And I had a handful of other clients as well, but they were, that large software company was definitely 90% of my revenue. But so three or four years later, after writing patents for them, um, they got to the point where like the bureaucracy got really complicated and they cut my, my workload in half. And I'm like, you know what? They kept lowering the price. It became a commodity item. Patents became a commodity. And it's like, I just don't like this anymore. I hadn't liked it for a long time anyway, but I'd stayed in it because the money was so good. And I'm like, you know what? I've had it. I just can't take this anymore. So when they said we've redu- reduced your, your work in half, I'm like, you know what? I quit. And that scared me to death because I had a seven-figure mortgage, you know, my dream house, you know, I had, you know, Victoria, my daughter to take care of. And, you know, my husband and I had our own businesses, but we counted on that money because our overhead was at that level, right? You make more money, you spend more money. I'm sure we can all relate to that. Our overhead had grown to match the income level we were both at. And so it was really scary to quit something. Did you, was like, it spontaneous? I just told my husband, I'm like, I can't take this anymore. I'm like, but I'll figure it out. I'm resourceful and, you know, I'm going to renegotiate something with the bank. And, you know, I didn't tell the bank that I had quit. I just said I lost my largest clients (laughs) and then tell them I willingly walked away from that um, because I just couldn't handle it anymore for my own sanity. But I called up the bank and I said, look, you know, I need you to work with me. I will pay you every penny I owe you, but I need you to like lower my payment for six months and let me restructure myself. Your mortgage so, payments. Yeah, my mortgage payments. So I got them to do a loan modification or whatever they refinance or whatever you call it to where they gave me a lower payment for six months. And then it went back up to its regular amount. And that wasn't enough time for me to rebuild my practice from scratch. And and you know what's sad though, Lisa, is that I still was taking on patent clients. I hadn't gotten the wake up call yet. All I, I just didn't want to work with that client. I didn't realize that it was... I still wanted to make the money from the patents. I just thought it was that client's, that it was that client's problem that I had that nagging hatred towards doing their patents. Not that I just didn't like doing patents.
0: Well, and progress, not perfection, right? So like your first awareness is I don't want to work with people that are jerks and like treat me, you know, right? So it's like, you know, and I, I think I remembered, funny, I'm thinking, you know, lessons learned along my cor- my corporate journey. I remember clearly one of the big ones was the bo- my boss. I just need to work for a better boss. Like, I don't even care what the job is or the product. Like, I just want my boss to be... You know, like that. I realized that it needed to be about that, and not salary. You know, and then like later on, it was what is the product and the passion around the product. So it sounds like, you know, your journey was similar, and that you're like, okay, no, no, I don't. I got to work with people that are like better people. <laughs> but you still there was a comfort level with patents, and if I'm going to rebuild this thing, you know, in six months, I'm just going to go with what I know. You know, it was right. it, it would have been a pretty, a pretty profound thing for you to say no more this client and no more patents, and then try right. to. Figure it out in six
1: months. Yeah, so I guess in hindsight, framing it that way, it makes sense that I would do that because I, it, in it, the, in the, the client, they were nice to work with. It was just the bureaucracy from the above that they had to enforce that, you know, they were always very nice to me. It's just them carrying out orders from above was not fun. So, <laughs> but yeah, the, it, it, it's been, it was an interesting, um, interesting journey for sure. And then, then that, that's where I was at at the moment of my wake up call from God that was the biggest one I'd ever received.
0: Yeah. So before we go there, I want to first acknowledge like what courage, how much courage it took to do what you did. Because I think that people like, you know, one of the commandment that you most love, the GFR commandment that you must love was make yourself your most important client. And, you know, when you talk about, I wish I knew the importance of planning my business around my life and putting yourself first. And I think that so many of our listeners, they want to let go of the pain they ask client. And they're like, duh, Lisa, so yes, of course, you know, that's, you know, if, if I was to make myself my most important client, that's what I would give, that's the advice I'd give myself, but it scares the heck out of me. And right. I have no choice. And there's just, you know, we, they're just such a, such compelling story. So how did you get over the compelling story that you had no choice and you had the seven figure mortgage and you just like, what, like really what, I don't know, I feel like, is there anything more you could share with us that really had you hit bottom, at least at that, that, that time? Yeah,
1: I mean, I had to like look myself in the mirror and say, am I okay, even if I have to give this house back? Like, what if I fail? What if I get this loan mod and I have six months to rebuild myself and I can't do it? Do I still wanna go down this path? I'm like, yes, I do because I can't take this any longer in like putting my, I I just had to do something for myself and I, I just couldn't stand working in that scenario any longer. So I'm like, you know what? Even if worst case scenario happens, I'll be okay my husband and I own a real estate company. We've, we've had it, you know, forever. Um, you know, I, when I married my husband, he had a few rental properties already, and we've grown the portfolio substantially over the years with my legal income. So it's like, no matter what, we have a place to live. And even if it's a two bedroom, you know, 900 square foot house that we own, you know, as one of our rental properties, I'm never going to be without a house. So I'm like, you know what, at the end of the day, even if I, went back to being a programmer. I actually loved being a programmer and I was making 140 grand as a programmer. I never didn't like it. I just didn't like the salary. Like, you know what? I'm gonna be okay. Even if I have to work a minimum wage job, I'll have a place to live and I'll be okay. So I literally played that out in my mind and said, you know what? I'm gonna go for it. I think I can do it. I can rebuild my practice. I've built it from scratch before. And even if I'm wrong, I can live with the consequences. So that was what I had to really talk myself through. And I think if most people are in a dire situation like that, where they're just afraid to take the leap, Ask yourself, could I really live with the alternative and figure it out? And if the answer is yes, which it should be nine out of 10 times, what the hell are you waiting for? You're going to uh, figure it out. And yes. even if you don't, you're going to be okay. Yes. Give yourself Yes.
0: That. You articulated something that, um, that, uh, that came to me. Uh, I'm going to share funny circumstances where it came sure. to me because it's just fun. But that I say, make friends with the worst case scenario
1: make Mm, friends with the
0: worst case scenario, which is exactly what you did. You went down all, you envisioned it, you went down all the different routes and could I do minimum wage and will we have a place to live? And, Mm -hmm. you know, and if I had to go back to programming, like you, you know, you, you did all the things, you know, you went down all the routes and the answer was yes, yes, yes. I'm just going to go for it. You know, so it's a little uh, funny interlude. So my very first uh, event that I did that was, I think it was, the year before my first seven figure year, my first and only seven figure year, was an event called uh, Six Figures on Your Terms Full Time Prosperity, Part Time Hours. And um, in this event, the, there was the second day, uh, I'm talking about how, how um, you, you do need to like sometimes confront your fears in order to create what you want. And the lights in the whole hotel go down. Like, I'm in the back of the room and I could see out the, 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 I'm in the ballroom and I could see out the ballroom in the back and the whole hotel is black. And everyone starts looking around like the floodlights come on. And now we have like mood lighting, you know, and I have like no PowerPoint, no audio, no nothing. And uh, I pulled up a stool and I'm like, okay, we're going to do a visualization. And I actually didn't know what it was going to be. And that's where this make friends with the worst case scenario sort of visualization came about where, you know, you go, just go and you like play it all out in your brain. And then you decide, okay, if, if I was to create a story about why that was a good thing that happened to me all that shit, why that was good. And then, you know, I'm obviously, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm capsulizing here. And sure. then you come back to present and you're like, okay, well, I went there. I went there. I could see how that could actually be a good thing. And so here I am now in present and, you know, it doesn't seem so bad. So, right. um, and I love the circumstances in which that was birthed because it just, it was, I was, I was living the worst case scenario, right. like as I was doing this worst case scenario right. um, visualization. So I love that you did that. Okay. So, You make that leap and you fire that client and you get you re you refinance, you actually are able to get back on your feet in those six months and rebuild things. But I'm still doing patents, still
1: doing work I didn't like, still have the real estate company as well. So, you know, it's like uh, okay, what next? So that
0: what so 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 the universe said, Well, you got some of the message, but not all of it.
1: Right. You missed a part, you're still doing stuff you don't really love. You you should be, you know, stepping into what you actually love. So yeah. So then what happened? Um, I actually, um, on June 20th, 2011, which I actually had a third company at the time, which is different than the three companies I have now. But that was the day we were having an affiliate launch where um, for those that don't know what an affiliate launch is, we had an information product that was going live that day. And it was being sold, a training product that was being sold. And affiliates were mailing for it at 8 a.m. They were sending out emails to their list to promote it. Hey, cart's now open. You can buy this great product. So at June 20th at 8 a.m., that's at like the exact moment that the affiliate launch was supposed to start. But instead of me getting um, the revenue that I had expected from that affiliate launch at that exact moment, um, the exact second to the, to, the, to the millisecond, my house was struck by lightning at that exact moment. Then God was saying, wait a minute, you're, instead of worrying about that, you need to worry about something else. Like at that oh exact millisecond, That's house insane. boom, shake. Yeah, and then, so imagine your house being struck by lightning, boom, shake, and then the energy passing over the room turned on my daughter's toys. Welcome to Dora's Playhouse. She was five <gasps> at the time. And so it she was, was like, like, ooh, okay. You know, that, that was powerful energy. But anyway, we didn't know we were on fire until there was a knock at the door. <gasps>
0: Because so, right, your house shakes, it. like, well, I'm in California, so there's other explanations for that. Where were where's your, where's your house Indiana. So yeah, so we, we, would, my husband and I,
1: we were up, so we saw the, the house get struck by lightning. We saw the bolt. Oh, you hit saw? The house. And we could feel the shake because we were up and, you know, getting dressed and stuff. But we, we were walking around trying to figure out if anything was wrong. We didn't know. We knew the power was out. The storms were horrible. The phones were out. We tried to call 911 to have them come and check. We were going to call, you know, hey, we, we were struck by lightning. We don't know if there's any damage or not. Can you send someone? So we're still walking around figuring out how we're going to get through. And the cell phones didn't work either because of the storm. And then there's this knock on the door. And so, you know, that's, that's where my life changed, the, you know, the most in that moment when, when I swung the door open. And then there was a fireman at the door. You know, and you know, you know what he said, Lisa, that was the, the most profound question I've ever been asked in my life. And it hit me like a knife in the heart I have who, to know. after I answered him. It was, what do you want us to retrieve in the next five minutes before your house is destroyed by fire and water? He's always, ma'am, your house is on fire. We're like, what? We're on fire? And I guess our neighbor had called 911 because they thought they were struck by lightning. Their power was not out. Ours was because it killed our power when it surged through the whole house. And repeat
0: again, repeat again when he asked you.
1: What do you want us to retrieve in the next five minutes before your house is destroyed by fire and water? (sighs) And what was the most shocking was how I answered him. And what I had him retrieve versus what I didn't have him retrieve. So that was really, really interesting.
0: Can you imagine
1: okay. if you were to be asked that question? It's like, if you can only set foot in your house for five more minutes, what would you grab? You know, of course, let's assume you have your computer and you have your wallet. And all the humans and animals are safe. But, you know, you got, you, got, you got the wallet and you got the laptop. What else are you going to grab? Like, I would encourage everybody listening to think about that. What would you grab if you only had five more minutes in your house and you already had those couple items in your
0: hand? Wow, I'm like thinking about it right now. Yeah. Like, and you covered like the things I think that people like, you know, default to, right? right? Like, as soon as you've got that
1: handled, Like, I already had that right by the door. Like, my office was right there. But like, what else would you have him grab if you only had five more minutes? Like, it tells you a lot about yourself and your true priorities. I don't know that I
0: would have any. I I think I would just keep walking. I I don't know. What did you, you know, do?
1: What was yeah? And what was going through my mind was okay. You mind you? I had a five year old at the time, so. We, we had to get Bunny her stuffed animal her like yes. a member of the household. I mean, yes. you don't go anywhere without the stuffed animal. That's like the family member. I'm like, Oh, please go find bunny. You know? And then I also had them get my wedding photos from 25 years ago that I don't have digitally. We didn't have digital cameras back then. Um, and I had them grab this blanket. My grandmother who we were, I was close to her. She died 20 years ago or 25 years ago. Um, My grandmother made me and it told a story of love and acceptance between races. She had, you know, little Native Americans and, and, you know, little Mexican kids and that she would tell the story from different cultures about how love and acceptance was what makes the world go around. And for me to never forget that, that's what I had her, and I don't mean any disrespect in my characterization of those cultures. That's the way my grandmother would explain it to me and say, love everyone and love no matter what their race is. So those meant something to did me. Th- did that, that come mean,
0: to you? Did they just flash and like snap into your brain? Like, this? yeah,
1: I was like, oh, uh, boom, boom. you know, yeah, I was like, I need, I want this, this, and this. It's like if I can't ever go back in my house again, this is what I want. Like, and what's interesting is if we extrapolate what that represents, it represents my marriage, my daughter, and my family. Right. And that's what I had them grab. It wasn't the jewelry in the jewelry tray? you know, the June fancy rings or whatever. It wasn't the art on the wall from Italy that, you know, I bought as a, you know, to collect a few things. It wasn't all the fancy stuff. You could replace that. It's just stuff. You know, you, you don't have, like, my life does not revolve around stuff. I like nice things, but it doesn't define who I am. And, you know, that was what hit me like a ton of bricks was as much what I had them grab as what I didn't have them grab.
0: Yes. Yes. And my, my husband and I are, Really, adapting more of a, a minimalist um, philosophy and lifestyle, and you know, it covers all kinds of things from like digital to, you know, uh, your belongings. And then we we're planning on downsizing our house in the next year or so. You Us know, too. just we kind yeah. of been there, done that with the house. You know, it's yeah. like you know we have one kid and she's not that big. <laughs> you know, oh it's goodness. like you know, um, and in a few years, uh, I can't believe it, but she'll be off to college. So yeah, it's, it's, it's quite phenomenal. Um, when you think about what really is important and, um, yeah, gosh, I, I hope, uh, I hope the listeners really just like, just drop into what, yeah, like, what would I take? What, what, you know? Yeah. Awesome. Mm-hmm. <sighs> okay. So I'm still, amazed that your house was struck by lightning I mean it's like yeah. right like it's such a beautiful it's a beautiful now in retrospect metaphor right it's like yeah. lightning oh lightning doesn't strike twice and all these like mm-hmm. things about lightning like the strike of lightning being such a rare thing right mm-hmm. and then okay so here you are rare <laughs> right. you know, again which you know I kind of I guess got a spiritual a spiritual slant to it all of like, you know, miracles, right? And we, you know, we think miracles are sort of like, you know, cease parting, parting. but, you know, miracles happen every day when we're sort of open to them and we see them. And like, in a way that was a pretty big miracle.
1: Well, you don't realize how profound your statement is that you just made and how accurate it actually was, because what I didn't tell you, and I don't always share this, I'll share it with your listeners here. Confessions is about it's a yeah, so part of the confessions, because <laughs> not everybody understands or will believe me on this, but I'd actually been saying, like I had a nightly prayer, I would say, or a visualization and a prayer I would say every night for six months leading up to that affiliate launch that I was telling you about. So every night when I would go to bed, I would, I would say June 20th, 2011 at 8am and I would visualize a a seven figure check that I was hoping for from the launch, like a check, an affiliate check with, you know, with a, a seven figure amount. Um, But, you know, it's interesting is that at June 20th at 8 a.m. At that exact moment, I'd been visualizing for six months from the affiliate launch. That was when the lightning bolt hit. And guess what my insurance settlement was? Wow. Like within a $100,000 of the exact amount I had been visualizing. What What's profound is what I learned from that is when you pray, you might want to be more clear about what you're asking for. (laughs) Because like, if I think about it logically, Lisa, do you normally get one check from affiliate launch? No, no. a bunch of little fifty, hundred, or $1,000 transactions that add up to a million dollars. But that's kind of complicated to imagine in a visualization. I should have been imagining a cha-ching, an order has been placed, cha-ching, an order has been placed like a thousand times. But no, I just, every night intensely, I visualize one seven-figure check. And guess what? That's what I got from the insurance company. Oh my God! So I'm like, is that not freaky as hell? That
0: is That's freaky crazy. as hell
1: and shows how freaking <laughs> powerful you are. Yeah. I know. And it's like, you got to be careful what you ask for and make sure you're being clear enough because if you say it intently and powerfully over and over and over again, you may get exactly
0: what you were asking for, but not what you meant because you weren't clear. Yeah. You get the end result, but the how. Right you know, really the how we're here. We know now, like we know so many yeah. know the how is not any of our business, right? right? Exactly. Like right. if you leave it open for interpretation, yeah. it can be interpreted.
1: So, but wow. that was a gift from God, which I'm grateful for every day. I made it the best thing that ever happened to me, not because of that insurance check, which I owed to the bank and everybody else. So, you know, that a lot of it was owed to third parties. Um, but, what i'm so grateful for is that i got the gift of learning that i've got to put myself first and plan my business around it thankfully though i figured out how to do both to where you can have a good living and still have plenty of free time but if i ever had to pick one over the other i would pick free time first but thankfully i figured out how you don't have to yeah you don't have to pick one or the other
0: can you fill in a little bit of the turning of the titanic right so like you have this profound experience And was there a point where you're like, all right, I want the lesson here. Like, I want to be, make sure that I'm awake. And like, did you, did you mine for the gold that was like the lesson around being happy and doing what you love or like, you know, was it a flash? You just got it. Like, can you share a bit more? Yeah. So after the
1: fire, um, it still took me probably five years after the fire to figure out how to have both free time and money. I still was like... Whenever I would take time off, my revenue would suffer. But I'm like, I've got to have more time off because I'm not But you knew you want, like it took you five years to achieve it,
0: but did you fairly quickly know that that's what you want? Yes. I knew
1: that day, I vowed the day of my fire that I was A, going to make sure I spent plenty of time with with the people and places that really mattered to me. And B, that I was going to figure out how we could still have a good quality of life. But even if I had to drop my income, like what you talked about, that I was going to put myself and my family first, no matter what. But that it was okay if I could figure out how to do both because I really wanted to figure out how to do both if I could.
0: So it sounds uh, like you made a, f- a few mistakes along the way until you figured out how to Yeah,
1: so I ended up like, um, I, I then stopped doing patent work. So I finally just shifted into recreating myself in other areas of law and in my other companies that I had started and my, my coaching and training and then continuing my real estate company. So, um, but what happened was I still kept, Having one or the other, if I worked more, I would, you know, I'm like, no, no, I'm not going to do that. My income would always suffer. So I'm like, how can I do this without my income suffering? So I went to a meditation retreat three years ago, and this, what we were supposed to, one of the assignments was to ask a question that we wanted to be answered from our higher self or God or wherever the answer was coming from. So Lisa, that was where I had the question I went with was, how can I always have the schedule that I've always wanted? I always wanted a three day work week. I, I call it my Tuesday, Thursday schedule. You know, I wanted Tuesdays and Thursdays so that when I'm not traveling, Tuesdays and Thursdays have nothing on the calendar except free time. What do I want to do today that'll make me happy? And I'm not counting weekends. This is in addition to weekends. Weekends, family time, errand time, laundry time, stuff like that. But like, what about time for just being happy? Like, yes, wrong? I love being around my family and that makes me happy. But I'm talking about me time. To just say, what do I want to do today? That makes yes. Well, everybody else is away.
0: What do I want to do? I love that you're saying that because uh, just recently I was saying something about how I wanted to have more time and they're like, oh, so you could be with your daughter more. I'm like, no. <laughs> yeah,
1: I want that too. That's weekend time, but me time. So that I went to the meditation conference, long story short. And that was the question I asked when I followed the procedure for what they told us to do. You know what, the answer that I had whispered into me was so crystal clear and it was, like, it was another life-changing message. It was, what are you waiting for? All you have to do is decide and make today what you want tomorrow to be. Wow. So all you have to do is decide and make today what you want tomorrow to be. But you know, here I am though, this still very busy entrepreneur. I'm still working a lot of hours, but I'm taking off more time with my family. But I'm like, I can't just go to a three-day work week automatically for the rest of my life. But what I did, this was magical. I gave myself permission to do it as a 30-day experiment. Like, you know what? I'm my own boss. I could take an eight-day, eight-business-day vacation. So if I could do an eight-business-day vacation, why can't I do two days a week over the next four weeks, two business days a week for four weeks? That that would let me test out my ideal schedule. So I gave myself permission to experiment, if that makes sense. I love
0: that. I love that. And it's funny. I was just talking with one of my... um, We have our GFR squad, which is like easy entry, you know, totally affordable, but some skin in the game community um, that are going to get to hear our bonus that we're going to do after this. And then I have my no regrets uh, sort of level of squad. And so we were just talking yesterday about how um, one gal had um, two weeks of, you know, over the holidays that she worked Monday and she worked Monday and Tuesday with clients, or whatever. And then, like, she decided that, you know, Thursday and Friday, she could do whatever she wanted to do for the whatever it was. She's like, it felt like a vacation, even though I was working. And I'm like, well, you just got to test it out. Like, you you mm-hmm. felt what it could possibly be like, and you have the holidays as an excuse. So now you know you like that. Let's do more of it, you know? It's like, mm-hmm. so I love this, the, the notion of, of creating it just as an experiment. Like, you know, right. you're not making this, you know, c- commitment that's super scary, but. Right. I love that. Yeah. Adopting a life of experiments. And it was
1: painful at first, Lisa, I won't lie. Like I loved having those Tuesdays and Thursdays, but it was hard fitting my, you know, my six day work week around that. Like you I felt was like You're paying a price of some sort. Yeah. It's like it was, what was painful was I had to learn where I was being inefficient. I had to learn to say no more. I had to learn to delegate more. I had to learn that you can't just have random meetings all over your schedule. Like (laughs) now I have meetings that only happen between a certain three or four hour time window on Monday, Wednesdays and Fridays and no other time. Like had to learn to be really disciplined about a lot of things. But what was cool about it was those inefficiencies bubbled to the top really fast by doing that. You know, if somebody would have just take one day a week off, I don't think you'd notice it as much as like, Yanking the bandaid off, and you take the two. When I took the two, I was reducing my work week by forty percent. You notice it at forty percent. You don't notice it as as much at twenty. That's so awesome. even if even if your listeners just wanted to do it for those that are entrepreneurs, they just wanted to do it for thirty days, just to learn where they're being inefficient. Even if you didn't have the goal of having a reduced work week,
0: it is so va- valuable to just learn where you're being inefficient. I love that. I love that, and I love that you talk about. You really. It's about. What learning what not to do and what to say no to because I was just I'm um, birthing this new thing around the concept called unmentoring and it's you know working with a mission-driven entrepreneur that is in a certain season you know in their business and I say it's not it's now not about going after all the opportunities it's just, the, the distinction is it's about what to say no to and get clear on what you don't want to do and what doesn't feel good it's like it's all un it's all the unness of it and it's and it's such a you know, in, in minimalism, they say, pack up all your things and, 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 you know, and then see what you use in the next 30 days. It's kind of what I'm hearing you say. It's like, you know, give yourself this 30 day, you know, experiment of like, you know, having to make it work. Right. Um, And it's like what I was
1: telling you when we met at the, the conference, it's like, when you end up giving, you know how when you get ready to go on vacation, you get like a month's worth of work done in two days before you leave. It's because you're forcing yourself to focus on what really matters. With my three-day work week, that's what I'm doing every single week. It's like I'm getting ready to go on vacation. So I'm forcing myself to be efficient. Like, what it, like putting that constraint in place and saying, you know what? I'm only going to allow myself three days to do this. I magically figure out how to get it done. It's like Parkinson's law, which, you know, talks about that the time it takes you to complete a project bills to to expand to the amount of time that you gave yourself. It's like, if you give yourself a month to do it, it's going to take you a month to do it. If you give yourself a two day deadline to do it, you'll figure it out in two days. That's I basically that. what my new schedule does. And now there are nine, like there's nine different things that I had to put into place together in combination that help make it work. You know, it's, the um, I had to do the you know the freedom days and um, you know the happiness stacking so those are two of them freedom days are what I was uh, talking about with taking time for myself forced hyper forced hyper efficiency is what I call what I was just telling you about how you're forcing yourself to get things done faster so those two work in tandem freedom days are taking the two days off forced hyper efficiency is then taking the other three and being forced to get it done faster. Um, Because of those two are working in parallel. But then there's others like, you know, delegating and having policies and procedures so that your team can continue carrying things out when you're not there and delegation and automation and, you know, watching your revenue and your expenses. And, you know, so there's like nine different pieces to the puzzle that when I start tracking them every single week and making progress, I, I was able to maintain that three day work week and run three companies.
0: Oh my gosh. That's so awesome. So in the show notes is a link to your growth hacking cheat sheet. And so I think you're, you'll go into more depth into some of those things in there, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I have that in my growth hacking cheat sheet right now. And in the near future, there's also going to be a free book summary of my new book called The Vacation Effect that's coming out here in early 2020. And so um, the, the, that goes into even more detail than the growth hacking cheat sheet that's being finished right now. Awesome. Here, so if you, if you get one or the other. They'll, but they're both excellent.
0: Okay. Awesome. I love it. Hearing you say the name of your book, "The Vacation Effect," reminds me of um, when I was in the in my seven figure year. Is when I started to meditate, and I got for me, I got certified in transcendental meditation because I hit such a ceiling of complexity, and all I could think of every day was I want to go on vacation, but I knew that. I wasn't going to get actually the feeling that I was seeking if I by, by going on vacation because I don't know that we ever really, you know, I don't know that we ever really get the ultimate, you know, relaxation that sticks, you know, even going on vacation. And so it it came to me that I needed, that meditation would give me that, you know, that I can go on a, a vacation and it's been super instrumental for my life since then. So um, as our last segment here, can you share some of the just that like practices or rituals or or routines or habits that you feel are just were are essential to you to like maintain and live this, this three day work week lifestyle that you have?
1: Yeah. So I think it's important to have a morning and an evening ritual, like what you were talking about. And you know, my morning ritual starts with gratitude, you know, just being thankful and grateful for what I have and for being alive. And um, I kind of have a, a morning routine where, you know, I take my supplements. I have, you know, my breakfast that goes to give me the energy and the food to take with the supplements. And then I do um, a little, I only do, it's like a 10 minute meditation, but like you said, even 10 minutes can change your oh, life. yes, Meditation has changed my life and it calms my thoughts. And then right after the meditation, I go into a meeting with my higher self, with my, with, you know, you can think of it, you know, like having a meeting with your, with your heart, you know? And I then like kind of talk to myself about what do I really want? What I want this day to be? And then after I have that meeting with myself, my higher self, I then launch into the actual tactics of planning my day. So, and there's usually movement, depending on what season it is, the movement might be, you know, going outside, taking a walk or a jog or whatever, but that in the winter time, I do, I do it in different ways. Like I might go to the gym more often a couple times a week. But um, so then what, what's interesting is, One of the most critical parts to my day is I I had to lay the foundation for it, but when I then plan my tasks in order to the three days a week that I'm working in the trenches of the company, I really have to figure out, like I talked about when you get two days, when in two days, when you're about to go on vacation, when you get a month's worth of work done, I had to figure out a process, um, which I teach my private clients and I have worksheets for it, but I'll just give you a quick summary of the concept Um, it's, it's that you, you first have to identify and do a brain dump like we all do of what are the things that need to get done today. But then it's, there's a two part process to that. That's magical. That helps me really get things, more things done. The first part is identifying the top two or three on that list that are really going to be the biggest levers in your business. It's like, okay, if I were leaving for vacation in two days, what, what three would I pick that just have to be done because they're going to make the biggest impact that's one way you can ask the question or what are, what are the three things that if I only did three things today that, you know, they're going to make the biggest difference in my bottom line or in the business. That's another way you can ask the question. But anyway, you circle those three on your list and you write one, a one B one C, whatever order that would be. And then for the rest of the list, Lisa, what I do is I apply one of my time hacking principles to it. And it's like hacking the hack. I love to hack the hack. I love to. Okay. (laughs) So the first thing that you're going to hack the hack is you're, you're, you're going to hack time is you're going to pick the biggest levers. That's hack number one. And then when you're going to hack the hack, it's like, okay, with the things that are left on the list, how can I reorder them to where I can get them done even faster? And so let me give you a couple of examples of a time hack. One time hack that, you know, everybody's thought of, maybe a lot of people don't do it in the way that they could is batching of similar tasks. Like let's say you're on your brain dump. You had like Four different things that were email replies you need to do. Well, why not write those as two, three, four, and five? Batch them together. Isn't it more efficient to respond yes. to those four emails when you're in email than it is to jump around throughout the day doing that? So that's one example. Another example might be like I I'm in a certain I'm in a better state of mind for doing certain things at a certain time of day, or if I've got my diffuser going with music playing, like I'm a bit more creative when I've got a certain environment going. So like I identify I have 12 different hacks and the. You know, setting up flow state with the ambiance is one. You know, batching them together is another. Using a timer is another. I have this timer that I use all the time, you know, that I'll set a timer. Like, let's say I think the task is only, is going to take, take 30 minutes. I'll set a 15 minute timer. I'll set it half the time that I think it'll take. And so if i then at the 15 minutes when the timer goes off, you'd be amazed at how many times I'm done or I only need five more minutes. Guess what I, I, I just, love that. I just created pressure on myself in a positive way but where I got it done in less time than what I thought. I thought it was gonna take 30, but because the timer's ticking at 15, my brain figures out how to do it at high quality. I'm not sacrificing quality on any of this, but your brain gets creative under pressure. So like, those are three of my favorites that I use all the time. Does that make sense? If you you apply that to the rest of your list, and so what you've done is you've literally just hacked time and like, even if I just, if I had to pick one thing that I only did that in addition to the the freedom days and forced hyper-efficiency, it would be that methodology I just talked about. The other eight or six or, or it'd, be, oh, it'd be the other six of in my nine parts to the of the nine growth and happiness multipliers.
0: That gets you like sixty percent of the way there by just doing what I just described. Yes, I totally feel it, and it's there, it's yeah. it's connected to or similar in intention with some of the thing you know some things that I've adapted over the years. My uh, husband is a huge um, fan of David Allen and his getting things done, mm-hmm. you know, approach. And so he has this two minute rule that I love, you know, like if you're in in a mode, you don't want to get distracted. If it could be done in two minutes. Okay. But otherwise, and so I've set timer for two minutes and it's amazing what can get done in two minutes, you know? So yeah, I love this. And I, and I love that you, it's like burst on the street, you know, like you, you know, this is, these were how this, this came forward because you, you made the decision, right? Like all you had to do is decide and make tomorrow the day that you want it to be or whatever your make today what you want tomorrow to be. Yeah, yes, you thank to... you. What you you yeah. you got through your meditation and like yeah. I do feel like you made a, the decision, right? That's the foundational thing. As in, and then you figured out what it would take. And of course now you're teaching it and that's what the show is all about, is because you know your mission was birthed through this struggle. Thank you so much. I just uh, for, for your such generosity and sharing of your story and even the bonus part that not, not many people know about, that's just amazing. <laughs> I love that. Thank you. Um, and, and then sharing so much of what works for you. Uh, this is you know such it's feeding me right now, which of course is no accident. So what might be a final thought or tip or tool or confession that you have for the group? Yeah, I think that what
1: would kind of summarize everything we've been talking about really well is a, is a quote that, you know, I kind I came up with myself that it may be out there somewhere else, but i never had found it anywhere else. It's freedom is a mindset, not a destination. You know, so what I mean by that is freedom isn't something that you get to have someday when you have more time or someday when you have more money, you know, freedom is a decision. You decide to have freedom and you step into it today because you know, otherwise those someday maybes, which is what I call them when we say, you know, someday I'm going to do this or when I have more time or someday I'm going to spend more time with family when I have more time or someday when I have more money, I'm going to travel more. All that bullshit. We say to ourselves someday, fuck the someday. Yes. Someday is not a day of the week. If you not to get around to it now, when are you going to do it? You know, so that's where freedom as a mindset, not a destination comes in. It's like, you've got to decide to have freedom in your life and claim it. And plan your life, plan, you know, put your life first and plan your business around it. And you can figure it out. The tools exist to make it all happen. And even if the worst case happens, we're all going to be okay. We are, we're going to be okay. Uh, so why not claim the freedom that we deserve?
0: That yes. was like
1: what I learned at my core. And I will never forget that. And I'll never go back. I'm going to be okay no matter what
0: happens. So why not choose freedom right now? I'm going to be okay no matter what happens. So why not choose freedom now? Yeah. I love it. I love it. Thank you, Denise. You're a shining light. Thank you for all that you went through so that you can come out the other side and and hold the space of possibility for people. Um, I learned a lot and uh, loved having having you on the show. Yeah. I was glad to be here. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. What a great show packed with awesome information for y'all. And we continue some of that high quality conversation around how to actually do this challenge of for 30 days, working only three days a week in your business in our GFR squad. So if you're a member of the GFR squad, we go into how to get over the guilt of not working, which is one of the, that is, she said, the lead objection she gets when she gives her clients this this challenge. So go over to gfr.life squad to get yourself a membership. It's only 20 bucks a month, people, um, to get this bonus training from Denise, as well as all the other bonus trainings from all their other guests. And to keep in touch with Denise, we also have a link in our show notes to her growth hacking cheat sheet. And she's also has an upcoming book called The Vacation Effect, and that may also be at the same link. Um, so go check that out. And- I hope you all caught that her favorite commandment was number five, make yourself your most important client. If you don't have a favorite commandment yet, you need to go download your copy of the GFR commandments. I mean, come on now. Go to gfr.life forward slash 12C, like one, two, and the letter C for commandments. So you can see what is the thing that's most up for you that's getting in the way of you feeling like you are real and congruent and authentic and having the money flow that you want. It's all connected, y'all. All All right. Until next time, until the next time I'm saying y'all and overusing y'all because I just freaking love y'all. Bye-bye for now.